Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you today is a part two uh, called 10 Hard Lessons from Decades of Failures and Mistakes. 10 Hard Lessons from Decades of Failures and Mistakes. And uh, actually, they're called hard lessons because they were learned slowly and with great difficulty. Now, there are easy lessons like, you know, scripture is the word of God. The kingdom of God is here, but not yet fully here. Uh, you know, do good, good, do good exegesis and hermeneutics so you don't put words in God's mouth that he never intended to speak. Uh, you know, different levels of delegation and supervision, good situational leadership, etc. Those are easier lessons. Uh, these are hard. Uh, they were learned uh, through pain. But the second thing important as I go into the final six of these 10 hard lessons is it's really important that you do your theology in your context and you record your learnings. Just like Paul did in the Greco-Roman Empire, as he was bringing the gospel throughout the empire, he was, he was in, in sense, he was, he was applying theology to his, uh, his culture and his time in history. And it's not that we're apostles, but there is revelation and there is lessons for each of us in our different leadership contexts. The key, however, is to uh, take the time to record and ponder and journal your mistakes. Uh, because if you don't, you'll end up making the same ones over and over again. I know. And it's hard work, which means you're going to need to slow down for that and uh, integrate, you know, slow down spirituality, silence and solitude and stillness, not simply to being alone in the presence of, you know, of, the, of God and communion with him, but also in the way that you lead strategically. Uh, and it also means that you've got to integrate a level of grief and loss uh, and lament into even your own leadership and failures. Uh, it's part of the way God changes us and changes our ministries, etc. So, all right. So last week we dealt with five hard lessons, and I'll just repeat them here for you. Uh, and with each lesson, I, I realize there is a temptation that corresponds to it. So the first five. First one was last week, character is more important than gifting, because it's very easy not to do and just go with a person's gifts and, and build your ministry. Uh, second was do not rush. Uh, third is leaders need to take responsibility and initiative for their own growth and development. Uh, for a long time, I blamed others. Uh, oh, there's no fathers available for me, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which I think everyone says often in their own generation. Uh, the fourth lesson was clarity of vision brings about unified leadership. And the fifth was extended sabbatical rests released new life-giving initiatives from God and enables us to lead out of a cup that overflows. And Again, with each of those, there was, there was temptations to not do them uh, because, again, I had too much to do, etc. But let me just say one comment about lesson five from last week. Please do look up on your Google, uh, on Google, the Lilly Endowment Clergy Renewal Programs. That's the Cler Lilly Endowment Clergy Renewal Programs, even if you're listening to this from outside the country. And uh, you'll see they offer grants uh, to pastors and leaders, again, primarily, I believe, in North America here. Uh, but they also give some structure of how to structure a sabbatical and why they're so important. There's a lot of great information on there. So look that up and, and check it out. And if you've been pastoring a long time, I've never had a sabbatical, uh, you really want to work on that and and carve one out for yourself and uh, talk to your board. Okay, with that, let's dive into lessons six through 10 of my 10 hard lessons from decades of failures and mistakes. All right, sixth one is this. Face the truth and act on it even if it hurts. Face the truth and act on it, even if it hurts. Uh, it takes great courage and humility and spirituality to walk in truth. 
because the temptation is, and I did it, was not to do it. I kind of hope it goes away and, and I would skim on the truth and uh, eventually it would come back to bite me until I finally got a hold of it and said, okay, that, that's it. Because the, the, the clean pain of dealing with it soon is much better than the dirty pain that comes from letting it sit under the rug for a very long period of time. So I would do that even in situations like, you know, what is the state of the church I'm leading, New Life Fellowship? And, uh, or, you know, how many small groups do we actually have? Uh, is it any more than we had three, four years ago? And I would skim on it because I really don't want to know the truth uh, about whether we were being effective. You know, and are, are we, you know, are we growing? Are we, are we bringing people to Jesus? And I remember for a period of years, we had, we had a, had a Spanish congregation in the afternoon as well as an English in the morning. And uh, again, I was pastoring both. We were one church in two languages, but it was the Spanish service that was exploding and people were coming to Christ. Many folks were getting baptized. It was really a move of God. But I, I think I actually convinced myself, as well as others, that we were growing in English as well, equally as well, which wasn't true. Uh, in fact, because I was so spread out now into a, a congregation in two languages, uh, we were getting thinner and thinner. Uh, and it was only a matter of time before it caught up with me, which it did. Uh, that was all pre-emotionally healthy discipleship uh, for me. I, I remember I, I skimmed on budgets you know, and, and how much money we actually had and we're taking in, because I, I don't want to know. I just would, I just like the vision and dreaming. Uh, state of our staff team, I skimmed on that. I, I didn't want to face the truth of, uh, and have some honest conversations with some folks who were key volunteers or key paid staff. Uh, I avoided the conflicts of those conversations, and I was in dual roles with some of the folks, and I, I, I didn't want to deal with the fact of these were friends as well as employees and uh, there wasn't a, some good fits going on. And I just, I, I didn't want to face the truth and act on it. So I just kind of let it go and covered for it and overfunctioned. And But I did learn this. I, things have to get worse before they can get better sometimes. And you have to open up the wound to heal it. And again, now we're getting into culture because, you know, are we going to be a culture that confronts the elephants in the room and actually, you know, build something here that's countercultural and and reflects the kingdom of God that's got a health to it. That's why I'm a believer. And I, I don't know how you stand on bringing in outside consultants or strategic planners, uh, but I'm a great believer in it. Even if you don't have the money, you know, any kind of wise person that you could bring in a, in a consulting role who's outside the system, they, they often give perspective. Uh, it's painful because they can see things very easily and quickly that you can't see. And, you know, some leaders prefer not to bring in uh, consultants because it's, then you have to face the truth and act on it. Uh, now, again, good ones uh, will create space, safe space of the boards and key leaders to talk privately and in groups. And they're sensitive. They're not going to get you killed. But again, I'm on the six principles still, you know, face the truth, hard lesson and act on it, even if it hurts in the short run. I, I can remember bringing in uh, a consultant person, a friend actually I knew, and uh, and it was so painful. He kind of almost did a 360 on me with everyone around me, and it was painful to hear uh, about how others were experiencing me. But it was true, and God sure used it, uh, along with a key therapist I had at that time that was also giving me a lot of hard truth about myself and my lack of integrity and being kind of slimy and, you know, saying one thing or thing and doing another. And then of course I always had Jerry who's a one on the Enneagram and you know, she sees things quite clearly. And uh, 
it just takes a lot of character to face the truth, uh, not just about yourself, but about what you're leading. But it's so life-giving, uh, so life-giving and, and key to growth. And uh, I just beg you to do it because everything, the culture you're building around you is going to be shaped by you as a, as a, as a person. Uh, if you've not read the ebook, Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives, I encourage you to pick that up. It's a, it's a free ebook that we offer on our website. And, uh, you know, pick it up. It's at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And it gives six marks of a healthy church culture. And uh, But again, it's, it, you're, you're the first person in the culture. And uh, if you change it, it'll ripple through the whole culture. All right, with that, let me go to number seven, which is our second one for today here. Uh, you know, seventh hard lesson was this, that enforce and be careful not to dilute your values. Enforce your values and be careful not to dilute them. Here's a temptation, I, and I, I did it. I, I compromised on my values because of expediency, in particular because I wanted to grow quickly and uh, see more numerical growth and uh, perhaps more, well, definitely more quickly than God was bringing it. And when I did that and when we do that and compromise our values, it's very costly. Our, our own integrity gets damaged. Our long-term mission and effectiveness gets damaged. And of course, I'm sure much like you and uh, again, I wasn't leading in my prime years when there was social media like there is today. But in my day, it was magazines and conferences and mailings, et cetera. And it was it was still the same, you know, in terms of they would create envy, the 100 fastest growing churches. And, and uh, you know, the ones that were noteworthy, that ones that were always, in a sense, lifted up in Christendom, was always the ones who were biggest and fastest growing and most dynamic and innovative and uh and you know, I think of those words from the, the, Jesus says to the disciples, "Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees who kept asking for a sign from Jesus. They want them to do something sensational." And it's it's it really it's it's the temptations of the wilderness uh, that Jesus confronted. I'm telling you, they are the temptations till our last breath. Uh, you know, turn those stones to bread. You know, make it happen. You know, jump down. Everyone will believe in you. You'll be popular. Or you know, bow to me for just a minute, and the whole world will be saved. And you know, any price. Do whatever you got to do, but be successful. And uh, you know, that's the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and it'll destroy you. Uh, it'll, it'll, but it keeps coming throughout your whole life. I can promise you that. But you want to get clear. What are my values? What, what, what are the values God's placed in me? Because Jesus' will and timing and voice, it really is enough. Uh, and there's a real peace in it. So so for me, for example, a value I had uh, from day one was a, a value of, of bridging, multi, bridging uh, race, cultural, gender, uh, barriers. And uh, that has huge implications because uh, it impacted our location. Uh, and again, we, we located purposely in an area that had a lot of folks who were poor. And we weren't going to move to a middle-class area because of our mission, the value of the poor, uh, we want, uh, again, being in an area that truly was multiracial. Um, and that just had implications because, you know what? Uh, I can tell you this, not everybody wanted to be part of that kind of a church. And they didn't like our location, and uh, there were folks who were quite gifted and good givers who uh, would drive in once and fight for a parking space and look around them and think, hmm, it's one thing to visit New Life. It's a wonderful place to visit, but I'm not sure I want to live here. Uh, and it was a real limit to growth, and I had to really often dig deep my own self and my own values and remind myself before God, God, what have you asked me to do, and what kind of a church uh, are you called us to be? And so... 
Uh, and again, we have a community development corporation, which again, we were not just going to be a church that gave money to the poor, but we were a church of the poor, that poor folks actually were attending our folks. And that had implications, again, to the state of our building. I remember being criticized for not being a neat, clean building, uh, like this one uh, funder uh, who I was trying to get to help us buy a building would criticize us and because our building wasn't clean. And first of all, we didn't have the funds for it. But secondly, clean in the way, again, a, a wealthy suburban church perhaps could be. Uh, but it was just, to me, uh, the nature of whether it's people taking showers in our building, homeless people, or the nature of it, uh, it was never going to be a uh, look like that. And I just had to be okay with that. And even just being about discipleship and building a community, not just a crowd, that had implications for the numbers temptation. Because again, my value was discipleship. My value was building a community, not just a crowd. Um, and again, I, I, I made a couple of bad hires that can bring people in the door, but not necessarily build community or make disciples and realizing this was not a right hire in light of my values. And again, one of the lessons I mentioned last week was character over gifting. Uh, and again, I, I sometimes chose people who were gifted to fulfill roles because we do need people who are gifted to fulfill roles. The problem was we didn't have the character to go with it. Uh, it. It didn't work out well. And I remember asking people to step down from volunteer leadership because their, for example, marriage maybe wasn't in order. Um, uh, or maybe they, they just didn't have the kind of a heart to develop other people that were needed for that position and yet they were very gifted and again could pull in a, a crowd and um, and again back to EH discipleship the whole commitment to being about discipleship that deeply changes lives not just superficially uh, means that if things aren't okay underneath the surface they're, they're not okay and so it required folks in leadership who are walking out things like brokenness and vulnerability and having a deep walk with Jesus and, and um, you know, it led us to developing a, a leadership rule of life, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it just made the bar much higher to be in leadership than it was earlier uh, pre-emotional discipleship. Uh, but it was a value was we're going to make disciples who are deeply changed, who make disciples. And, uh, and then of course, marriage was a value that you're going to lead out of your marriage uh, and the integrity of that. And it was quite a challenge to, I remember letting a person go or a couple of people go out of leadership whose marriages was not in order because that needed to get put in order. And uh, so it's not that we have it all together because we don't never did get it all together, but not that we're looking for people to have it all together to be in leadership. It's just that you're open to getting help. Uh, that to me was the, is the key quality, kind of a teachability uh, and willingness to seek help wherever it might be from to, to grow and mature. And so we were never going to have thousands and thousands of people, but that my value was not that. My value was the things that God uniquely put on myself in planning our church. And so in the same way, you got to ask yourself, what's God put on in you as values? And some of you are overseas. Some of you are pastoring uh, perhaps a small ministry or a parachurch ministry here in the United States or elsewhere. Uh, but you want to ask, you know, what is God asking me to do? And not compare yourself to what's going on around you because that will... That is a temptation of the wilderness. It's the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, it'll suck the life right out of you. It's a hard lesson to learn, but it's better to learn it early than later when you look at yourself and say, well, that was a waste of time. But let me go now to the uh, third hard lesson for this week, which is this, that crossing race, culture, class, and gender barriers requires that we're open to new learnings. 
Uh, and we're self-reflective and consistently questioning our own current assumptions. Let, let me say that again. That crossing race, culture, class, and gender barriers requires we remain, remain open to new learnings and we're self-reflective and we're consistently questioning, questioning our assumptions. Listen, the world's very complex. It's incredibly diverse. And the temptation for me was, uh, as I was in it for a number of years, not to listen and to think I actually had it when I never, I didn't have it and I still don't have it. I had someone come to me recently and say, Pete, uh, I want to learn about, uh, you know, bridging barriers, you know, being multiracial and all that. And, and, and I just realized that they're looking for like a, a four hour meeting, like to get it. And uh, it's not going to happen. It's, it's about incarnation. It's about, uh, it's about remaining open uh, to new learnings always. And so the temptation is um, to, to not realize I'm, I'm going to be, I'm a lifelong learner in this. There's just so much to learn. I've been in this now for over 40 years. And I got such a long way to go. I had someone say to me from Africa just this past week and say, Pete, listen, um, they were talking about his schedule. It was very, very busy. And I, I basically encourage him, you got, you got to slow down here, you know, and get anchored. And we've had multiple conversations before in the past. And and he just, he just looked at me and says, Pete, you, you may not understand, but being African, uh, you know, I've got to be 10 times better than the average white person. And I was just like, and I just listened to him for a few minutes and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I have no idea as a white male in North America, the United States. And you know, I have four daughters and my daughters have helped me understand even more deeply the gender gap uh, and patriarchy and the oppression of women. And uh, that's so deep in the culture and in the church. And then of course you have class barriers and, and uh, of, you know, think of you have the underclass, you have lower class, middle class, upper class. But in some way, even of the same race, the class barrier is greater, in my experience, than even the racial barrier. Um, and it is quite a challenge to bridge class barriers in a community. It takes tremendous humility uh, on everyone's part to find our identity in Christ and Christ alone. So we all have blind spots. We've all got ignorance. And the millennials and Gen Zs right now, they're, they're passionate for, you know, crossing, you know, bridging race, race and culture and class and gender. Um, that's wonderful. It's in their DNA. One of my concerns is, you know, it's more of a dream than a reality. It's like a, you know, a summer hobby versus this is, this is a, this is costly. This is your life. And, uh, and the power of privilege is more difficult. Uh, uh, and, and cause you have choice to opt out, you know, we have choices to retreat and, uh, and I recognize my own privilege and uh, I can opt out and see it as a short-term project. And, you know, verses are real core to the application of the gospel as we read about in the book of Acts and Ephesians, Matthew 25, you know, and this, this you know, I've been learning in the last few years a lot about Native Americans in the United States and their own history and, and Canada as well. It's not been on my radar because of, again, where I live in, in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, there are not, not a lot of Native Americans. And the few that have tried to speak to me over the years, I haven't really listened to a great deal. Um, but uh, I am learning a, a great deal now. And it's just, it's just so much to learn. Uh, but then I've got to also process, as I'm as sought to provide leadership in it with the community I was leading, uh, swallowing what people say that's insensitive about other people. Because uh, it, it just it, it's a long journey to enter other folks' world. And and then I've had folks say to me, you know, Pete, you're you're a 
you know, I think of one, you know, African-American woman that came to me and says, you know, Pete, you're the only reason you're doing a multiracial church is as long as you can hold on to the power, you know, as a white guy. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, having to really wrestle with that. And is it true? And how much of it is true? And this was, of course, years ago. And I've been blindsided by uh, so many. I've got a list of cultures here and surprises of tensions, everything from my neighbor who was Serbian uh, around the uh, Bosnian War in the 90s and his rage uh, going back to a battle in the 1300s uh, when the Muslims defeated the Serbs. And I remember that I, I couldn't even follow all the details of it. I had to go look it up. And then, of course, from World War II and Korean, Chinese, Japanese, I mean, just the complexity of that. And and and, and so that's why I, I, incarnation, you know, it, to me is a the whole theme. And I got I to gotta leave my world and go into other people's worlds and and, and that's why it's so important. We learn to do it with people who are close to us, like your spouse or a close friend or a coworker who's maybe even the same race as yours or someone maybe you're one flesh with. And, and so we, we began to learn skills like incarnational listening and the emotionally healthy relationship skills. And you want to become, if you're, you're, you're going to cross race, culture, class, gender, I mean, you, you want to master uh, skills like uh, incarnational listening and, and speaking and, but I, I, there are so many redemptive. There's so many redemptive gifts in entering other people's worlds, and and I, I mean that. I'm talking about even think of class, and you know, I, I was raised in a lower middle class, and I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even, you know, I, I didn't even know any lawyers or doctors my my whole life growing up uh, until I went to college, and and uh, you know, it's been such a richness to cross races and cultures and classes and genders. And I'm look forward to growing more in the future. And right now, I'm learning a great deal about African Christianity and studying about you know global Christianity historically. And it's been just fa- fabulous. All right, let me go on here. I'm getting carried away. All right, uh, the fourth lesson of today, uh, really number nine of the ten, which is this: be faithful to to your charism, which is a grace from God that is uniquely yours. Be faithful to your charism. That is a grace from God that's uniquely yours. Now, charism is different than values and. Uh, charism is a grace given to you from God uh, to do something. And uh, now, again, you want to learn from other ministries and streams, but but actually be content with the particular charism that's your unique DNA given by God. Again, the temptation is what? To, to look at other charisms and other graces on other ministries, and you want to copy them. I remember early on, I, I would watch these kind of apostolic ministries and that were planting churches and um and one fellow was had a vision for the city church, and so he was head over multiple congregations in the city. Uh, and I thought this was fabulous. And so as we were planting churches early on, I said, "I'm going to be like him," you know. And uh, and it was didn't work because I wasn't him, and uh, there was no way I was going to be this kind of an apostolic person over these churches. And uh, my temperament, and my gifts are much different. But in my early years, there were seeds for a number of things, but I grew into my charism slowly. And I want to encourage those of you, I know a lot of you are young listening to me, and, and you may have some seeds of your charism, but you're growing into it and don't rush it. It will mature, relax. You will see more clearly as the years progress. Uh, don't rush to declare the whole thing. You may know pieces right now and you want to move into it. Listen, I started a doctor of ministry program early on. Uh, uh, I took one course, like a course and a half on church growth. And I just, it, it brought death to me. It was desolation and I dropped out. And it was about seven, eight years later that I realized now I'm ready to do some you know, further work and a doctor of ministry. And I did it on marriage and family because I wanted to see how that material related to leadership development and discipleship. 
Uh, and I went into it with a passion and I, I, it was God for me and uh, in building what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship. So that that was my time. And I almost had, a, you know, again, a Ishmael prior to that. It's just, it just my charism was still unfolding at that time. And, and so, you know, New Life Fellowship Church, which I pastored 26 years for me, was a was out of my charism as the founder, at least. And, you know, in terms of quality, in terms of depth, in terms of multiracial, in terms of mission, uh, and it had large, and I had to struggle with my charism and the limits of my charism because it, it put us in a location with limits. And I remember at one point I brought in an architect to make our building really slick and really, really space efficient and cool and all that. And I, I was looking at how other churches had their foyers and all that stuff. And and uh, anyway, I remember the person in charge of the building at the time, a really wise, he's almost like an elder. And, he said, Pete, it's not, this is not who we are at New Life Fellowship Church. And I said, yeah, 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 but let's go down this road anyway and see what happens. And uh, and uh, he was dead right. And I realized that others realized that, you know, soon afterwards. But it, it's hard to be faithful to your charism and the limits of your charism. Because, again, we're surrounded by messages to create envy, fast, large. And you got to go back, what's God asked you to do? What's he put inside of you that you say, I must do it? If there's any encouragement, and again, I'm talking to you like you're sitting across from my table here on my third floor of my house, across from my desk. You know, for most of my 26 years as a lead pastor, and I, I felt like a failure and a loser, uh, at least compared to other evangelical ministries or, or large, you know, circuits that folks were out there. And the reason that was because I I knew, I know our church, I know what I was leading, I know all the problems. And uh, our church was like Nineveh, it was filled with sinners, sinners, and uh, I made all my mistakes here. And the people around me knew me as Pete and they knew all my mistakes. And it wasn't like they just read a book and had this idealized uh, caricature of who I was. They knew me. And uh, my mistakes were always ever before me. And I knew there was great things at New Life, but I also knew there was a lot of loss and failure and mistakes there too. Um, and, you know, I, I would just have to go back, what's God asked me to do in my charism and be faithful to it? And, and what felt... I think for most of my ministry, quite anonymous and, uh, and uh, on the edge of the empire. And I, I was good with that, you know. And so I, I, I want to just encourage you, those of you especially who are in parachurch ministries, uh, you know, and uh, are leading local churches uh, or some of your churches, maybe just locally, you're, you're serving your town and some of you are in small towns or rural areas or some of your regional churches or national churches or uh, you know, 40, 50 people or 20 people. and But there's a glory in being faithful to the charism God's given you at this season of your life. And it, it does involve embracing, embracing your limits. And listen, even now, uh, I'm evolving in my charism. Uh, listen, I'm in my early 60s, everybody. Uh, and uh, I'm leading a global discipleship movement called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I'm passionate about leadership development. I'm passionate about discipleship. And I'm a leader who does some writing out of this, creating courses. But uh, I realize I'll be unfolding till I die. And if God gives me another 20, 30 years to live, who knows what else will be unfolding. Uh, But I also keep before me uh, the fact of my charism now is is a small taste of what is to come. And if you ever read Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the final book is called The Last Battle. And the book ends with, with this few lines. And I have this in my journal. I just pulled it off my shelf here. It says, uh, again, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story 
which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. In other words, my earthly ministry and yours is only the cover and the title page. Uh, and when we see him face to face in glory, do you realize that we're just going to start chapter one of the great story and every chapter that we evolved eternally will be better than the one before. And we'll look back at this, these brief moments on earth and we want to just be faithful to what God has for us. And so, may, you know, may we get free from that comparative thing that is so in our culture. And we want to live in that Matthew 3.16 where the Lord spoke to Jesus, you are my beloved son with you, I'm well pleased. Um, and the Lord looks at you and says, you are my son, you are my daughter whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. In other words, you're a success, period. You don't have to do anything to be a success. You are a success. Uh, and you want to just drink in that and then serve him out of delight and rejoice in everyone's success around you. Bless it. Uh, and glory in the smallness of what you're doing because everything we do will be small. Billy Graham, at the end of his life, felt what he did was small in comparison to the size of the need and the earth around him. Uh, so you can glory in that before God. All right, and finally, my 10th and final hard lesson learned was this, that intentional mentoring and development of individuals is key to bearing long-term fruit and stability. That intentional mentoring and development of individuals is key to bearing long-term fruit and stability. Uh, this requires time, patience, thoughtfulness. So the temptation is what? Let me bring in some gifted people who already developed. Uh, and quick, I'll just, it'll be done. I can make it happen. And uh, it never worked for me. That's all I can say. I, I When I came to Christ, I was raised within InterVarsity, a parachurch ministry. And I was taught 2 Timothy 2, too, you know, make disciples. What you've heard in the presence of many witnesses, you know, entrust to reliable men and women who in turn can teach others also. And uh, so, and then as a church planter, I was very much invested in making disciples. It was all there. But as we got larger and we started planting other churches, I did pull away from it. I just got, I was running programs. I, I just, I was, I got away from actually intentional mentoring and developing people. Uh, and then it was Jerry who really kept me on the ground. And we had a group in our basement. We eventually called it firm. We would take 12 to 18 people a year, mostly 12 to 15. One year it was 18. And we would invest ourselves deeply in them for a year. Now, what's interesting, I just say to myself, while in the basement, and we would meet 80 to 100 hours over a year period, and I would think to myself, oh, yeah, Pastor so-and-so is in strategic meetings all day, and I'm in the basement with this fellow who's not even listening to me. And uh, I, I, I often look back over the as the years passed, how many actually bore long-term lasting fruit? I would say about 30% dropped out at some point along the way. Uh, but the leaders to this day that I think I've influenced have uh, and deeply have come out of that basement. And, you know, Jesus had his three and a 12 and a 70 in multitudes. And there's levels of mentoring and discipling people. Uh, but you want to be intentional about mentoring a few and developing a few. Uh, this is not a course. It's life on life. You do need content. And that's why we developed the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, to provide content to get deep beneath the surface and some theology to help you get deeper with people and create, a again, a slowdown culture. Uh, in fact, I'm now using the course to actually disciple pastors, uh, even though it was written for, for the church. Uh, but no, no course, no uh, program is going to get away from life on life and one on one. So again, let me encourage you to 
you know, pick up that ebook, Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives, on our website at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And uh, let me ask you, what lessons would you add to my 10? You know, what are some hard lessons you've learned? Because there is gold in your hard lessons that came out of pain and sweat and failure. There's a revelation of God and yourself and others for those who would follow you. And so uh, here's my final five. I'll just review them and I'll bless you as we go here. So the sixth lesson, hard lesson was face the truth and act on it even if it hurts. The seventh was enforce and be careful not to dilute your values. Uh, the seventh was, uh, so the eighth was crossing race, culture, and class and gender barriers requires we remain open to new learning. The ninth was be faithful to your charism. That is the grace God has given you as a leader, and that's uniquely yours. Don't try to take anybody else's. And then finally, intentional mentoring and developing of other people is key for long-term fruit and stability. You can find a list of all 10 of those hard lessons on our blog at emotionallyhealthy.org. You can check that out. And uh, may God guide you and bless you and fill you with his peace as you do his will as a leader and model a kingdom leadership that maybe is not sensational, but is like Jesus and points people to him. So I bless you. Have a great day, everybody. Take care.